This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight, flood watch as many areas of the province prepare and wait for the worst. Plus, and this is just an accident waiting to happen. Why some say Stanley Park's single lane traffic isn't just inconvenient, it's dangerous. And. Oh my God! Oh my God! The shocking experience a group of Vancouver fitness enthusiasts weren't expecting. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Many British Columbians are keeping a close eye tonight on rising water levels as local rivers threaten to spill their banks. The city of Prince George issued an evacuation alert today for people living on Farrell Street across from Paddlewheel Park due to significant risk of flooding by the Fraser. The river is currently 9.4 meters. The River Forecast Center predicts it could reach as high as 9.8 meters this weekend. That is flood level. Elsewhere, an evacuation order has been issued for about nine properties near McBride, about two hours outside of Prince George. Saturated groundwater levels and high water are also damaging roads and highways, including in Prince George. East Beverly Road is washed out 300 meters east of the Blackwater Road. All traffic is being rerouted until repairs are done. Heavy rainfall in parts of the province over the past week combined with snow melt has led to a flood warning for the upper Fraser River and Quinell River, as well as a region near Prince George seen here in red. The Peace and the North and South Thompson Rivers remain on a lower level flood watch. Further south, officials with the River Forecast Center say the lower Fraser from Hope to Mission will likely hit its high water mark early next week. And that has residents in low-lying areas of the Fraser Valley hoping for the best but preparing for the worst. Paul Johnson has more. No, this is not a marsh, but rather a cornfield. One of many flooded fields right now in the farmland north of Chilliwack that lies between the main dike and the Fraser River. They gave us an evacuation notice, but nothing's majors hit yet. Ben Beeks lives in the floodplain north of the dike, and he's been watching the river carefully. He's got a plan to move if he has to, and he's been lending a hand in the community where needed. And we helped the neighbors down the road. They had this, we had to sandbag their house. The Fraser's spring surge is weeks late this year. Powered by unseasonal rains here and upcountry, and mountain snowpacks still melting. Around the sloughs and channels winding through the upper Fraser, the water has crept up in many places, closed down roads and portions of parks. All rivers can be dangerous, but check out the speed of the Fraser here in the upper valley. No surprise, authorities are warning people to stay away from it. It's full of debris and the banks are unstable. Well, I have seen this river many times higher. Just how big of a high water year they're having depends on your perspective, though. 
Chris Dyke's been watching the river since 1951, so she's fairly unfazed, while others say it's definitely the highest water in the past four or five years. But with the freshet expected to continue for the next couple of days at least, one thing they all agree on is respect the power of BC's big river. The Fraser River is the Fraser River. It's very dangerous. In Chilliwack, Paul Johnson, Global News. About 500 residents of the Shushwap are without water after a landslide in the Base Creek area of Seymour Arm damaged the water system. The slide came down on Thursday, wiping out a water diversion structure which supplies water to about 200 households. It also came down on a forest service road used and maintained by Canoe Forest Products. The public is asked to stay away from the area as water is still flowing and the ground may be unstable. A safety assessment must be done before the water system is re-established. Interior Health is trying to find alternative water sources for those affected. In the South Okanagan, fast-moving waters have the city of Penticton warning people to stay out of a local river channel. Darian Matassa-Fung has that story. A popular summer cool-down spot is busier than ever right now. Visitors and local residents both busy cooling off at the Penticton River Channel despite a warning issued by the city of Penticton to use extreme caution. Have you heard of the risks involved going in the channel right now? I have, yeah. High, have high rapids, it's higher water. So. And obviously you're, you don't think it's too dangerous to stay out of? No, I'm a strong swimmer. so. The warning states that if people do decide to float in the channel, they should consider wearing a life jacket to not tie their floaties together, and to avoid alcohol consumption when on the channel. Coyote Cruises, a company that rents inflatable tubes and runs a shuttle service for floaters, has decided to shut down operations for now due to the water conditions in the channel. Purely a safety decision. We, wanna, we could not uh, ensure the safety of our guests nor our staff for getting out of the channel safely. The Ministry of Forest, Lands and Natural Resource Operations says the current conditions of the channel is due to measures aimed at reducing Okanagan lake levels. Channel flow is very fast right now. They're trying to drain the lake by 50 centimeters, so having the dam fully open, centimeter and a half a day. Currently, the channel is flowing at 75 cubic meters per second, which is much faster than average for this time of the year. At this time last year, the float was about three hours to the end. Now it's an hour 15 to an hour 20. Coyote Cruises says they are working with the city of Penticton to find a solution that would make the channel safer during fast water flows but ideas are still in the early stages. Darian Matassafon, Global News, Penticton. Three weeks after an inferno engulfed a house in Langley, an incident now being investigated as a possible triple homicide, one of those who perished was laid to rest. Julia Foy has more on the memorial and the mystery that still surrounds the investigation. Family and friends of 23-year-old Medea Abrahimian, also known as Befren, remember them as a bright, quiet young person who loved to study and care for animals. Hard to come to terms with how I'm never going to, you know, get a text message from him again, get to, like, hold his hand when we go on walks, or get to, you know, hear his laugh and things like that. It's, it's really tough. A close group of friends came together to mourn Befren's death at a service at Heritage Gardens in Surrey. I have all these beautiful memories, but I, I, he was so young, right? I, I always thought we were going to make a lot more. I thought we had at least, you know, like 
30, 40 years of good times to go. But there are still many unanswered questions about how the tragedy occurred on June 13th. The sky went black, um, the smoke just started billowing in. Emergency crews were called to a house in the 19600 block of Wakefield Drive in Langley around dinner time. A fire had engulfed the house in minutes. We were standing on the front lawn here and the house, you could feel the heat. Three people were discovered deceased at the home. The integrated homicide investigation team has determined that one of the dead, a man, was a victim of homicide. Befren and a woman believed to be the mother were found dead inside the house. IHIT has not yet revealed how they died. He's just about 23. He's not deserved to die or kill like that. And nobody deserves that like that. But family and friends want Bevran to be remembered for the life they lived. He would always show up for the friends that needed him. I thought it was really important that we, we honor his, you know, how beautiful he was. Julia Foy, Global News. Protesters gathered in Vancouver today calling for the release of two Canadians detained in China. Friends of Canada, India organized the peaceful protest outside China's Consulate General on Granville Street. The group is demanding the Chinese government free former Canadian diplomat Michael Kovrig and entrepreneur Michael Spavor. The two have been detained since December of 2018 in what is widely seen as retaliation for Canada's arrest of Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou. Canada has suspended its extradition treaty with Hong Kong over China's security law. In response, the Chinese embassy in Ottawa issued a statement saying some Western countries, including Canada, have been meddling in Hong Kong affairs under the pretext of human rights, which seriously violates international law and basic norms of international relations and fully exposes their double standards on the issue of national security. Protesters gathered in front of the police watchdog's office in Surrey this afternoon. The rally is calling for a public inquiry and more accountability in police-involved deaths. The Independent Investigation Office is a civilian-led police oversight agency into incidents of death or serious harm that may have been the result of the actions of a police officer. But these protesters say it's not effective in bringing justice to victims' families. When people come here day after day, month after month, and there's no answer for them. That's not a right system. This is supposed to be the independent investigation office of the police, yet the people who are coming here with complaints are getting no answers. After one year, there's no answer. The reopening of Stanley Park to vehicles sparked a divisive debate in the city. The park board deciding to allow one lane for automobiles and the other for bicycles. But as Nadia Stewart reports, another mode of transportation is complicating matters even more. It is the first official day back in business for the Stanley Park horse-drawn tours, and things are not off to a good start. The new traffic pattern has made it in a certain way to create a different level of uh, stress. Last month, the park board voted to take one lane of vehicular traffic away, giving it exclusively to cyclists, forcing the horses and drivers to share a single lane. O'Neill says if it was not clear before, it should be now that the park board's decision was reached without adequate consultation. 
zip. No consultations. They keep on saying they have consultations, but with whom I have no idea because I've talked to all our partners, including the first responders, and nobody heard from the parks board before. O'Neill is worried about collisions involving his horses, cyclists, or even pedestrians. In an email to Global News, the park board says staff have been in ongoing discussions with O'Neill, adding the temporary traffic plan continues to be adjusted based on experience and feedback. There has been some pretty heated comments, I think, about uh, people trying to get through. NPA Commissioner Tricia Barker says the debate surrounding this decision is not over yet. This is everyone's park and they want to get back to it. And I think that, you know, you have to listen to the voice of so many people. The vast majority want to get back here. What's been so frustrating for O'Neill is that this is not the first time the park board has tried something like this. Uh, approximately 1992, they did something very, very similar. It lasted about six weeks. So I have no idea why um, the right hand is not talking to the left hand about this. O'Neill hopes this sign will get people talking and calling on the city and park board to rethink the flow of traffic in Stanley Park. Nadia Stork, Global News. What could have been a very dangerous event for some fitness enthusiasts in Vancouver today. Have a look. Mark Wolf was teaching a step aerobics class in the parking lot along the seawall in English Bay this morning when the group heard this tree crackling. Wolf started recording as they went over to take a closer look. He said it sounded like the tree was coming down and then it did. A large chunk of the tree just snapped off. Fortunately, no one was on the grass when it toppled. We have some breaking news. Another summer weekend, another rescue for volunteers on the North Shore. Crews staged in the parking lot of Cypress Mountain Resort for a mission to rescue a female hiker from Eagle Bluffs. She had fallen on a muddy trail and had seriously, inj had seriously injured her back. Weather was a challenge and North Shore rescue volunteers faced the possibility of having to hike six to eight hours to carry the victim out of the backcountry. Fortunately, this guy cleared just enough for a helicopter crew to rescue the victim using a long line. The Vancouver Public Library is getting set to reopen its central branch and four other branches later this month. By July 14th, there will also be limited in-person service available at the Britannia, Kitsilano, Renfrew and South Hill branches. Takeout service will also be expanded at five locations across the city. The VPL hopes to open most of its facilities by September, with health and safety measures in place, of course. Book returns will be available starting next week at reopened and takeout locations. Two new deaths have been reported at the last long-term care home in Vancouver Coastal Health Region with an ongoing COVID-19 outbreak. Providence Healthcare confirms that as of noon Friday, Holy Family Hospital had three new cases along with two deaths. That brings the total number of fatalities at the facility to seven. On Friday, the province declared an outbreak at the Langley Lodge in the Fraser Health Region, the province's deadliest outbreak in the residential care home over. That outbreak claimed 25 lives. Canadian actor Shay Mitchell is in B.C., but she's facing online criticism for apparently breaking her two-week quarantine. After three days of being at my parents' place and being one with the couch, 
Mitchell, who has appeared in the show's Pretty Little Liars and You, posted this video of herself out for a run this week. It follows a post earlier this week saying she had just arrived in the Lower Mainland. Both federal and provincial orders state anyone arriving from out of the country must undergo a mandatory two-week quarantine that does not allow for any outside activity. With the pandemic halting international travel, motor coach companies have been hit especially hard. The BC Trucking Association says without financial support, operators will face a long road to recovery if they make it at all. With no cruise ships and no international tourists, conventions or concerts, charter buses could be waiting a long time for their regular passengers to return. 95% of the motor coaches right across North America are parked right now. John Wilson runs the largest bus company on Vancouver Island and the second largest in BC. He shut down most of his operations mid-March, laying off more than 200 employees. 95% of his fleet remains off the road. And it'll be down 97% of revenue since that time. It's been devastating. Uh, coming up on four, a devastating four months for us. And Some government aid has helped, Wilson says, but without more assistance from the province and feds, including interest-free loans and extensions on the emergency wage subsidy program, he says companies won't survive. Anything and everything that can help with uh, the cash flow is, is what uh, is going to be the key. As the motor coach industry hopes for a lifeline, Wilson's Transportation managed to get its Greyline sightseeing and CVS tours back up for Phase 3 travel, with its BC Ferries connector service and Tofino bus to resume mid-July. But the company expects the limited restart will only bring in about 20% of normal revenues. Until tourism can safely fill seats again, most buses will stay sidelined during the busiest season. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The northern Vancouver Island community of Port Hardy has officially become Bear Smart. The program is a voluntary preventative conservation measure that encourages people to work together to reduce conflicts between bears and humans. Port Hardy has a large population of black bears. Five years ago, the community made headlines when a conservation officer was suspended and later fired after he euthanized a bear that had gotten into a mobile home but refused to kill her two cubs. We all know that the North Island is the most wonderful and beautiful place. We all know that we have wildlife here. What we also know is we don't want to have that interaction between the wildlife and people who live and work in the community. So having the Bear Smart designation is a great step. Port Hardy joins Kamloops, Squamish, Lions Bay, Whistler, Port Alberni, Naramata, New Denver, and Coquitlam as the ninth BC community with official Bear Smart status. Two young beavers from the Okanagan will be calling Kamloops home until they're a little bit older. In a social media post, the BC Wildlife Park says two beavers, one found walking down a road in Vernon, the other found under a bridge in Kelowna, will be transferred to the Fawcett Family Wildlife Health Centre. It's possible high water separated them from their families. They'll be cared for until they're ready to be released back into the wild. Thousands in Calgary's Chinese-Canadian community rallied outside City Hall today in support of a B.C. nursing student. Justice for Nearly 100 people demonstrating in support of Mona Wang. She was apprehended by Kelowna RCMP in January during a wellness check. 
Video aired during her civil suit shows the 20-year-old being dragged down a hallway semi-conscious in handcuffs and then her head stepped on. The constable said she found Wang with a knife, alcohol and pills. On Thursday, the head of RCMP's southeast district in B.C. apologized and requested more mental health teams. An online petition has called for the constable involved to be fired and charged with assault. Alberta's health minister is looking into how the province's health authority responded to an alleged racist attack at one of its hospitals in 2016. Tyler Shandro says he was ordered an independent, has ordered an independent third-party investigation into the incident where a piece of rope tied into a noose was found taped to the door of an operating room at the Grand Prairie Hospital. Shandro says he wasn't made aware of the incident until last August. What appears to be a deliberate act has sent two people to hospital in downtown Seattle this morning and a warning some of this content may be disturbing. Two protesters hit by a car. The video shows a white car drive around two parked cars on I-5 before hitting two women. One is listed in critical condition, the other in serious. Washington State patrols say the driver drove through a closed barrier before reaching those taking part in the protest march. The driver is in custody. It's unclear what the motive was. As America marks its 244th birthday, fears of rising COVID infection rates have put a damper on many celebrations across the country. One state has reported its highest single-day total of cases, and the disease has once again reached the White House. Independence Day 2020, one of the most unusual in the nation's history. The global COVID-19 pandemic forcing the cancellation of fireworks shows and large gatherings coast to coast. Infections are on the rise in at least 40 out of 50 states, with a record high number of cases in at least 16. Hospitalizations in California are up more than 50% the past two weeks. For every patient that we discharge healthy home, we're admitting many more. Here in Florida, the state set a record for positive coronavirus tests for the second time in three days. On Friday, 11,500 people tested positive. The percent of positive tests also remains high at 14.1. There's nothing more American than sacrificing for a family member, a neighbor, or a stranger. Many South Florida beaches are closed. Across the country, public officials practically begging people to wear masks when out in public. We know we're going to have a lot of second homeowners in town, a lot of visitors in town. And the biggest thing is just hammering home the message of wear your mask. Not even the White House is immune. Trump campaign official and Donald Trump Jr.'s girlfriend Kimberly Guilfoyle tested positive for the coronavirus Friday. But despite the virus, some traditions remain. Yeah, American Joey Chestnut set a new world record at a socially distanced Nathan's hot dog eating contest. And some people did venture out to beaches, casinos and Independence Day parties. Health officials fear the worst if people don't take the threat seriously. But in general, eventually this is going to um, crush the health care system at the current rate. With a surge in infections, will COVID-related deaths spike as well? Health experts say the next few weeks are pivotal. Chris Pallone, NBC News, Sanford, Florida. It's back to business in England for hair salons, restaurants and pubs. It's beautiful just to get back and have a bite. As of this morning, many establishments were finally allowed to reopen their doors for the first time in more than three months. Cinemas, theme parks and churches can also open. But all businesses must take precautions to prevent the spread of COVID-19. 
As of yesterday, Northern Ireland allowed pubs to reopen. Wales is keeping its pubs and restaurants closed until July 13th and then only open, reopening outdoor service. Scotland opens for outdoor service on Monday. Customers will have to wait until July 15th for a seat inside. Spain's northeastern region of Catalonia enforced a new lockdown on more than 200,000 people today after several new outbreaks of the coronavirus were detected. Residents will not be able to leave the area, but will not be confined to their homes. And starting Tuesday, workers entering or leaving the area will have to present a certificate from their employer. Spain is one of the worst affected countries in Europe with 28,000 deaths. The World Food Program says COVID-19 is one of the main reasons it will have to help more people than ever this year. The UN agency fears that by the end of 2020, the number of people relying on its aid could rise to 270 million. That's an 82% increase since the pandemic began. Lockdowns around the world mean millions of families have suddenly been left without any source of income. The crisis has also made the distribution of food much more difficult. Aid agencies are worried the pandemic will mean richer nations won't be able to follow through on commitments to help. We asked governments to give the money they were planning to give us in advance, and that actually has worked really well. They've been very, very understanding, and they have delivered on those pledges. Where we're worrying, though, is that uh, our traditional donors, a lot of them like Canada, like the United Kingdom, United States, they're going to be worrying about their own economies in six months. A recent Statistics Canada study also shows a rise in hunger in this country. The survey suggests nearly 15% of Canadians are now facing food insecurity, many affected by the damage COVID-19 is doing to the economy. In Health Matters, the World Health Organization is discontinuing its trial of the malaria drug hydroxychloroquine. It says the interim results show the drug produced little or no reduced reduction in the mortality of hospitalized COVID-19 patients. This latest development comes after U.S. regulators revoked authorization for its emergency use on patients last month. U.S. President Donald Trump had promoted the drug as a miracle cure for COVID-19 and claimed to have taken it himself to prevent getting the virus. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Talk about cooking the books. The library having to warn people against microwaving its books. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, a cat in Calgary found itself in quite the predicament. Poor kitty climbed a power pole, then got stuck for hours between the pole and a transformer surrounded by live wires. So we just came into work around 7 this morning and we were hearing a meowing and we didn't know where it was coming from. We were looking all over the alley. And then we just saw the cat stuck up in this post here and it was struggling to get out. So we, I called uh, the non-emergency line and then they sent out a fireman and a policeman. And yeah, the poor cat's been stuck for a couple hours now. Aw, firefighters were able to pry the poles apart just enough so that the cat could get free. And while this situation does have a happy ending, officials say it's a reminder to pet owners about the dangers of letting their animals roam free. 
Oh, Ivana, a cat has never been so happy as to run away. Yeah, and don't think they're going to be going up anything anytime soon. Hope not. No, I hope not either. All right, Colleen, it managed to break out today. It was nice. We needed this. We've had uh, the past eight weekends with rainfall on either the Saturday and Sunday, and we started off with some sunshine today, and we'll have more on tap for tomorrow. Temperatures are going to warm up. It has been cooler, especially as we approach the beginning of July on Canada Day. Here's a glance, a beautiful shot of the, over, uh, the North Shore Mountains. Temperatures are sitting at 19, and we've got a northwesterly wind at 7 kilometers per hour. A great shot that was captured today up in Burnaby Mountain, taken by William, so thank you so much. We do still have a bit of instability across the province, and that's really in towards the northeastern corners, areas near the Peace, and across the central interior with a few isolated showers. There is a nice and much-needed break that is on the way for tomorrow. Future cast into place, so all areas across the south coast will start to see a clearing on the way. Tomorrow morning, we could see some fog patches dissipating by the noon hour, and then it's sunshine. And then Monday, late in the day, there may be a blip in the forecast for the southern half of the province and a chance of showers. Overnight tonight, temperatures down to 11 degrees. We've got a mainly sunny sky for the day tomorrow. Highs up to 21, away from the water, 24, and with the humidex tomorrow, feeling closer to 26 degrees. So as we put the rain forecast into play, it's really the northeastern corners, one more wet day, anywhere between 5 and up to 10 millimetres, and it'll be much drier, especially for the central and southern interior, which is much needed. Now, an update on the flood concern. The flood warning is in effect for the upper Fraser River. It continues for the Quinell River. In all areas that are in orange, the flood watch, and that extends towards the northeastern corner, so we're still keeping a very close eye for areas that are near the peace. Now, here's a plot of some of the water stations across the province, where we've got a few areas that are indicated in red, showing us a 5 50 to 100 year return period and we are looking at for example 100 mile 150 mile house showing us the forecast peaking for Monday Tuesday and another weather station in Mission for example where we're looking to see the peak of it on Tuesday and Wednesday so into the next five days it'll be crucial for the flood warning across the province as we keep a close eye and as the rivers peak for the northern half of the province our outlook for tomorrow we've got a mainly cloudy sky the instability for the northeastern corners will be the risk of a thunderstorm it'll be very light in terms of the precipitation. Central interior tomorrow, a nice bright start and then more cloud cover rolling in towards the evening. A few isolated showers could pop up for the Columbia tomorrow with an increase in cloud cover. And much of the southern interior, temperatures are going to start to warm up. Highs for the Thompson Okanagan getting up to 28 degrees. All areas across the south coast, we could see some morning fog patches dissipating. It'll brighten up towards the afternoon. Warm up away from the water, 24 as the high with the Humidex, it'll feel like 26 degrees. We could see a blip in the forecast, and this is Monday, Tuesday. It's cloud cover. However, it looks like it should remain dry for both days, and then it does start to brighten up, especially on our Wednesday, back into a partly cloudy sky. Colleen? Fingers crossed for some sunshine. Thanks yeah. so much. Well, it might not seem obvious to some, but a library in Michigan posted a message on social media recently reminding patrons not to microwave their books. Staff at the Kent District Library in Grand Rapids had a book returned that appeared to have been burnt in a microwave. The message issued on Facebook tells borrowers the library quarantines all returned materials for 72 hours and, quote, the pictures show what will happen when you microwave a book. The radio frequency tags in all reading material have metal in them. They will catch fire in the microwave. Epidemiologists have said that if there is any virus on the books, it would be minimal and would die off quickly. Just wash your hands. I think we just all need a reminder sometimes. Oh, yeah, microwave books, no.
Not part of the recipe. Makes so much no. more sense. I, I hope that wasn't a cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> Barry, what you got coming up? Yeah, I guess you just wouldn't want to wipe it down. No. Anyway, that's just me thinking out loud. Uh, you know, the Whitecaps were supposed to be in Orlando. They're supposed to leave Wednesday on Canada Day for uh, Orlando. They're still in Vancouver. That return to play MLS tournament still scheduled to go ahead, I believe, as of Wednesday. But uh, lots going on there. So we'll fill you in uh, on that. And uh, we saw a bit of Joey chestnut choking down his hot dogs oh. we'll uh, have a little bit more of that maybe if you haven't had your dinner you might want to turn away but it's always interesting viewing face masks are becoming the norm in our society dr bonnie henry wears one and she'd like us all to do so on transit or other places where we can't physically distance in phoenix arizona cases of covid are skyrocketing the owner of a vintage clothing store there says she was fed up with customers coming in and not wearing masks so she put up a sign that's getting a lot of attention. Antique sugar in downtown Phoenix is gaining popularity for more than just vintage clothing. We had to turn our phone off because the phone does not stop ringing. It all started after co-owner Sarah Bingham got tired of telling customers to put on a mask. So she came up with a blunt way to get her message across. I want everybody to take a second and pause and think about, oh, this isn't about me getting sick. Outside the shop, you'll find this sign that reads, if you choose not to wear a mask, we respectfully ask that you postpone your visit. We'll be happy to debate the efficacy of masks when this is all over and you come in to sell your dead grandmother's clothes. This isn't about me getting sick. This is about me maybe getting somebody else sick that won't recover from it. Bingham's message clearly resonated with many. She posted a picture of the sign on her Facebook and it's now gone viral. Messages from all over the world. Grandmas are calling us to thank us for standing up for them and doctors and physicians and nurses. The sign drawing in one shopper today. Kind of makes you stop and think, you know, and also kind of brings to light who's really the most at risk are our grandparents. But Bingham says not all the reaction has been positive. We've been getting a lot of blowback from people that think that I'm being callous or profiting off of dead people, and that's just not the point of this at all. Instead, she wants people to find compassion and hopefully save lives. We need to protect these people that have no other defense. There's nothing else they can do. They have to, like, hope that they don't die, and the rest of us actually can take an active part in that. In Phoenix, Emma Lockhart for Arizona's Family. Barry's here with sports and Barry, it's nice to see teams trying to get going again. Yeah, well, we all wondered, you know, all this stuff is fluid because of the uh, COVID-19, of course, because it does go up and down. So as of now, there's a lot of stuff scheduled. Will it happen? I guess we'll have to find out. Uh, thanks, Colleen. Well, all of a sudden, the MLS return to play tournament in Orlando has hit some snags, and the Whitecaps are right in the middle of it. Today, Major League Soccer officially postponed the Whitecaps opener against FC Dallas. It was scheduled for next Thursday, but with nine players on FC Dallas testing positive for COVID-19 upon their arrival to Orlando a few days ago, the league felt it necessary to make the adjustment. Now, the Whitecaps were to have left to Florida on Canada Day, but they had some 
inconclusive tests with their group back here and are now set to travel on Monday. Their first game is now July 15th against San Jose, but right now everything seems a bit unsettled to say the least. And further to that, Toronto FC has postponed its flight to Orlando. They were scheduled to go today, but a member of their travel party experienced symptoms. That person has been tested and isolated and the team won't fly now until they get those results back. Toronto scheduled to play their first game this coming Friday versus D.C. United. Premier League from an empty Old Trafford. Man United hosting relegation-threatened Bournemouth. United in a fight for a Champions League spot, and they tie the match up thanks to their 18-year-old uh, wonderkind Mason Greenwood. The teenager showing quality there. Anthony Martial's been on a tear. That is his 20th goal of the season, 2-1 United. And then more from Mason Greenwood, who netted the double. Here's his second, this time firing with the right foot as United crush Bournemouth 5-2 the final. United remain in fifth place with 55 points. Arsenal taking on Wolves. Arsenal trailing Wolves by six points going in. Wolverhampton in the mix for a Champions League spot, but Arsenal strike first late opening half. 18-year-old Bakayo Saka patiently waits on the bounce, then hammers it in. 1-0 Arsenal, and then late Gunners will seal it. Alexandre Lacazette with the finish, and it's a big three points for Arsenal. 2-0 final as they keep their faint Hopes alive for a Champions League spot now within three points of Wolves. One more, Leicester City and Crystal Palace. Leicester third place when the day began. Big day for Jamie Vardy, 77th minute. This is his 100th Premier League goal. Maybe none easier. He would add another in stoppage time. 3-0 the final. Leicester remained third in the Premiership. A point up on Chelsea, who also won today. PGA Tour front now from uh, Detroit, the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Big buff Bryson DeChambeau in the mix again. Has finished top 10 in all three return tournaments so far, and his bombing off the tee has been uh, become quite the spectacle. Opening tee shot goes 364 yards on the par 4, almost drove the green, led to one of his six birdies on the day. So he birdied the first, and he also birdied his last hole here on 18. He will sink the 9-footer. 5 under 67 today for Bryson, 16 under for the tournament, tied for second. Veteran Ryan Armour on the 15th will sink the birdie putt. Actually had the lead, but a double bogey 7 late in the round has him tied with DeChambeau in second at 16 under. They are chasing rookie Matthew Wolf, who already has a win back when he just turned pro a year ago. Has cooled off since, but back in form this week. That's an eagle putt there to tie for the lead. And then at 17, showing off the short game. Chips to two feet, another birdie. And Matthew Wolf is at 19 under. It's a three-shot lead at the Rocket Mortgage after an 8-under 64. Adam Hadwin, the lone Canadian who made the cut, tied for 19th, eight back at 11-under. Formula One is back. Final practice and qualifying for the Austrian Grand Prix. No fans, strictly team personnel at the track. Now there are two Canadian drivers in F1. 25-year-old Canadian rookie Nicholas Latifi spins out. Into the wall there, not the way you want to start your Formula One ride. Wrecks the car, but he's okay. The Montreal native will start at the back of the field in the 20-man field. Better day for fellow Canadian and Montrealer Lance Stroll, who's now 21, but in his third F1 season. Kept it clean today to qualify ninth. 
Mercedes cars qualified 1-2 Valtteri Bottas upstaging defending world champ and teammate Lewis Hamilton. IndyCar today from Indianapolis, but uh, not on the oval. They were on the road course. New Zealand's Scott Dixon, a five-time series champ, had never won in the road course before today, but he was the class of the field. Passes Graham Rahal for the lead. Yes, Graham is the son of the great Bobby Rahal, who won the Indy 500 back in 86. Scott Dixon wins at the old Brickyard. He also won the first race in the Indy restart last month, so he's two for two. Rahal was second, but a record 19 seconds behind the winner. When the Indy cars were done, the good old boys from NASCAR were up next at the Oval, the NASCAR Xfinity Series. A wild finish in this one. Series leader and Indiana native Chase Briscoe in a battle with three others, including A.J. Allmendinger. Briscoe manages to take the lead, and he stretched it out from there, winning at the place he'd always dreamed of racing as a kid. Grew up just an hour away from the Indy 500. Chase Briscoe wins his second straight win and a series-leading fifth victory of the season. The NASCAR Cup race goes there tomorrow. It is the United States of America. Yeah, Yes, the 4th of July tradition in the USA, Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, pretty much owned by American Joey Chestnut. He was in fine form today, setting a new world record, stuffing down 75 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes. You can call it a lot of things, gluttonous, disgusting, gross, it's all of those to me. Uh, Second place guy had just 42, 33 less than Chestnut, who's won this contest 13 of the last 14 years. He's also led in indigestion after something like that. Is it over? It is over. Is it over? Yeah, yeah. Can can, I look? You can look now. Hopefully you've not had your dinner yet. But I I guess it's impressive, but uh, that can't be good for the body. Dr. Bonnie would not recommend that as uh, good nutrition. For so many reasons. Yes. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's that time again for our nightly thank you to our BC Healthcare hero. Yvonne, who is it tonight? Tonight we are honoring Joanne Carson Harding. This is her pictured with her grandchildren. Joanne is a porter in emergency at Abbotsford Hospital. Three days out of the week, she is moving patients from the ER into the hospital beds all over the hospital for different types of care. And the other two days of the week, porting for the operating floor and moving COVID patients in and out of quarantine. Wow. Joanne and her team have been working since day one of the pandemic. Until this day, Joanne has not been able to visit with her family because of her work with COVID-19 patients. So thank you, Joanne, and your team in Abbotsford. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, if you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us a few pictures to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca and tell us why they're your hero. And please remember to include a photo. That's nice. I also love the healthcare hero stories because you learn about all the different jobs that go on that you don't even think about. Mm-hmm. Lots of people behind the scenes. No kidding. Uh, this is an interesting story. A Calgary woman believes that her dog is making a big difference in the lives of many, including her own. He'll grab you a bottle of Coke out of the refrigerator. He'll jump into a tree. He'll jump over a fence for you. 
Yeah, just some of the stunts that Milo does. The Border Collie Australian Shepherd has been delighting people at his Calgary dog park with some 95 <laughs> tricks. And he's gone international with about 80 viral videos. But Jessica Garner doesn't do it for the fame. I figure, you know, they bring me so much joy. Why not share a little bit of that with people that are going through some very difficult and uncertain times right now? Yeah, I, I figure they, they bring so much joy. It's, uh, it's so sweet to watch. And Garner's two children are already making a page or taking a page out of mom's training book. The family has now expanded to four, giving more pause to inspire even more love. Those are smart dogs, too. Yes, very smart dogs. That is the news hour for tonight. Jordan is here at 11. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night. Hope to see you again tomorrow.